one and hello everybody and welcome to the 34th episode of what the fuck are we talking about as always i am joined by my partner in crime here the man the myth the legend his name is ron yes it is. <laughs> and i'm and, john yeah i'm joined by the man the myth john. the legend john yeah there you go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are so good at this about our intros here and i'm like <sighs> i try to bring the same energy that like the rock used to yeah you, you know, i think you have to be like finally the rock I think, has come back to insert wherever he is i feel like the uh i i feel almost like the uh the charisma that the rock has is something that uh you just can't you, you, you know, we're we're mere mortals. You know, we can't possibly compete with that. We um, can certainly try. We can try. Fail, but we can try. We can try. Um, but now this, now this is the thirty fourth episode, the big three four. Yeah, it feels Quarantino. It feels number four. It, yes, it feels very. Uh, I don't know, like just. I, I feel like I've said this, like, repeatedly, but there's a sense of just... Every time that number gets bigger, it feels more and more like this is just something that's like a commitment, you know? It's just hell yeah. or high water, we're doing the show. That's just... That's something no woman has ever said to me. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's usually like, that's it? I, I can't commit to that. No, I'm done. No. <laughs> no, like... I think that that's like a good catchphrase, like "come hell or high water." WT Fada, right? I like it. Hell or high water. WT Fada. We're gonna make yeah. shirts. We'll make shirts. We'll add that to the Redbubble store that nobody's shopping at for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> they shop at the Redbubble store the same amount they uh, use the hashtag WT Fada giveaway one. Dude, they don't want to spend money. They don't want to get money. I don't understand. It's crazy. What was it? $25 Amazon gift card and the pack of WT Fada stickers. Still up for grabs, ladies and gentlemen. If you're if you're out there, you know, fucking pick that shit up. I'm just going to give it to the first person who does the fucking the hashtag man at this point. Yeah, seriously. First person. Literally, the first person. So, like... The competition for the show, like, we had a huge spike in October last year. Ever since, we've been fighting to get that back. Um, and I feel, I feel like now we're, we're like, bottoming out, like, really hard. And I'm trying to figure out, is it us? You know, which I don't think it is. I feel like me and you are great guys, so that, that doesn't make sense. But now it's, like, the could competition. Could be us, man. No, of course not. How could it be? Um... <laughs> But, like, now it's, like, anybody listening to the show can just use that hashtag and immediately win. Immediately. That's pretty crazy. I mean, it's right there. Just a dangling carrot within reach. Dude, it's the pitch, man. Slow and steady. All you gotta do is just swing. Yeah. Here's a bunt. A little bunt. Yep. You'll win. You gotta hit a home run with the bun inside the parka. <laughs> um, so, uh, what have you been up to, man, since we last talked? Um, well, Friday night, um, 
I went on a Zoom call with my brother and a couple of Haley friends, and we played like an online version of Cards Against Humanity. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, just to check in and say hi and, you know, spent a few hours doing that. So that was fun. Yeah. Just trying to find creative ways of still talking to different people, checking in, and um, keeping ourselves entertained. I'm, I'm telling you, dude, the, um, the, the I, you know, and I'm not, look, I'm, I'm socially isolated anyways, like, most of the time. Um, uh-huh. But I have, like... But I also have things that I like to do that are individual pursuits. Like I, I create art, which is part of the whole Redbubble thing. All the WT Fada merchandise is like my stuff, um, and I write. I've been uh, working on a short story um, that I'm about to finish. Right now, I'm doing paintings for a poetry book that Kayla Kennedy is putting out, um, and that's going really well. So I do a lot of things alone, anyways. I don't know what it was last night, dude. I just was like, fuck, I am so lonely. Like, it hit, like, a ton of bricks, like a freight train, and I could not escape the feeling, you know? It was, uh, last night was a tough night. And then I'm like, okay, well, I feel lonely. I don't have any, any place to go or, like, feel like I have anybody to talk to. So I was like, ah, well, I guess I'll just go to bed. And then, like, I couldn't fucking sleep. And I was like, this is so stupid. This is so stupid. Um, yeah, it, it's it's starting to get... Uh, it's just it's just getting old. It's just like, for fuck's sake, like, can it be done? But, I don't know. I know. It's... It's tough to see where things are headed. Mm-hmm. You know, I think... Uh, you know, I thought about it, and even after, you know, we get the okay to, like, start to, like, build up back to normal, mm. I'm still going to be like, I don't want to fucking be around people. Yeah. It's going to be a long time before I feel comfortable again being in a crowd. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, just knowing how how easily this can happen and just out the fuck of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. So... It's just, it's going to be a long road ahead, man. I heard people, like, describe it as, like, there's going to be some type of, like, societal PTSD over Uh this, you know? And it's like, you know, I mean, like, (laughs) I'm like, uh, I'm out of a relationship. I'm like, this is the year I'm going to put myself out there, everything. And uh, I actually, like, start doing that. Like, I push myself outside of my comfort zone. I'm going to bars on Saturday nights and I'm talking to strangers and shit. And uh, then this happens. I'm like, oh, so it's like the world is just like, no, alone. You are alone, you know? And I'm like, ah, okay, all right, I got it. All right, please stop killing everybody. I get the point. I won't bother yeah. anybody you with know my what, presence. Dude? Yeah, after you just said that, this is all your fault. <laughs> this is my fault, seriously. <laughs> the whole fucking universe is just like, no, you don't get to be with people. All yeah, right. you don't get to be happy. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I was starting, like, after me and you went to uh, one of our sponsors is um, Playoffs. Uh, the bar in Bulrica. And uh, after we went there, it's like I had, you know, and, and I mean, you know, it's just, I, I was starting to get friendly with, like, the, the bartenders there and stuff. And it was like, oh, like, these are people that I can talk to that I don't really know, you know? So I had started doing that pretty much every weekend going down. 
and just hanging out. Um, and then this all happened, and it's just like, man, this is fucking crazy. Like, this sucks. But, I don't know. <sighs> yeah, dude, you know, it's... This was like the... You know, I know we talked about, you know, me working at Panera before, and, like, I've, I've been there for five years, man, and I finally decided to fucking break free from that and move on to a better opportunity, and I did, and, like... I've only been out of this training period for like a month and a half, two months, you know, and you know, this job, it's, it's the way that the pay structure is, is like, you need to, you're not going to be seeing any type of real money for like, you know, four or five, six months, you know, you got to build up a pipeline, you got to work, you got to go out there and get fucking better at your job. And I was like out there first couple of months, I was starting to like kind of gain my footing this and that. I'm like, all right, cool. You know, I, I think I can be successful in this. I just need to keep it. Oh. Oh, guys. And now. Oh, no. What? Sorry, just repeat the last sentence. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying, like, I feel like I was finally starting to get my footing and this is something to be successful at. And now this happens. And I feel like by the time this is over and I get to go back, I'm going to, like, forget how to do my job because I'm so new at it. I believe in you. I'm not going to remember a lot of the shit. It's going to be rough. I'm sure it'll come back pretty quick. Yeah. Hopefully it'll come back pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And, well, it's just, like, it sucks because I'm in people's homes doing my job, and, like, they have to watch me be like, oh, okay, I remember how to do this now. And it's like, dude, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? Like, I don't trust you being here. Well, just say, like, look, I, <clears throat> I'm new. You know, like, I've had this yeah. job for, like, eight months, but seven of them I've been locked in my house. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's a, it's such an odd time, and I feel like nobody knows what to do. And I feel like the the social costs uh, and, and the work costs for everybody, are, it's just, it's so high, you know? Like, uh-huh. this is, um... This is definitely, like, a test of, uh, like, individual strength, you know, um, just to see if you can, you can do this. Because I know, like, there were, there's, like, there was a dude in New York that fucking committed suicide. He was just like, what type of life is this? Like, that was, like, literally his, his suicide note was, like, what the fuck type of life is this? You know, I can't see anybody, and everything's falling apart, and he was just like, I'm done. And I'm like, okay, like... Yeah, that's an option, but also like this is gonna turn around. Like this is this will get better at a certain point, and everything will be fine again. Um, you know, and it's like, like they said, from the time that they have a working vaccine or they think they have a working vaccine, it's gonna take eighteen months. And it's like, eighteen months is like a drop in the bucket comparatively. Like you know, it's not it's it's a long time, but you know, it's not. It really isn't the end of the world. Um, uh-huh. And as far as I know, I feel like they do have something that they're working on now. So we're already in that 18-month period where, you know, they're going to be working on figuring it out. And I just feel like, uh, I don't know, I, I, I look around and everything I see, it sounds like good news is is, a, is coming, you know. Uh-huh. Especially where they're saying, like, the ICUs, the numbers are actually going down now in some of the harder hit places um 
it seems like the tide is, you know, passing. Um, but it is, it definitely has been weird. Yeah, no doubt. Um, <sighs> so what else have you been up to? Watch anything or? Yeah. Uh, good. So I, let's see. Well, I caught up on all of Better Call Saul. Um, I watched the... The only one that I haven't seen is the episode that aired last night because there's some type of horrendous delay happening on Voodoo right now. Um, which I like Voodoo a lot, but it definitely feels like kind of a... It feels a little bit shitty because I use, I use it for... I like the layout better than I like Amazon. Um... So I use Vudu to buy my TV seasons. And as far as I know, on Amazon, the episode that aired last night is available already. So it's sort of like, God damn it. But um, it's kind of the roll of the dice you take. But um, it's a very good show, man. It's uh, it, it, the focus and what the show ultimately is about is starting to come a little bit more to the forefront. Um and I, I'm really enjoying what they're doing with it. I'm getting nervous for some of the characters that I really like, um, <laughs> because I know that they're not in Breaking Bad, and they're not even mentioned in Breaking Bad, so I'm like, okay, something pretty permanent, I think, probably happens to these people, um, which, you know, in that universe probably means death, which is not fun, but, um... But yeah, so I watched that. Um, I rewatched the first season of Fargo, um, which that show is so fucking good. Like they, uh, you know, I feel like Breaking Bad as a television series um, sort of owed something pretty major to the Fargo movie, and then I feel like uh, the Fargo series owes something pretty big to. Um, Breaking Bad, you know? And it's like this uh -huh. nice, like, back-and-forth synthesis of, like, small-time criminals uh, getting in way over their heads. Like, that story, just back and forth over and over. Um, yeah. So, I, uh... I've, I've definitely been in, like, a crime movie kind of mode. Um, and, uh... And crime series mode. And I've been really enjoying it. Um, I also wanted to bring something up. Uh, you had mentioned last time we sat down that I should check out the platform. Oh, yes. Did you do it? I did. Um, what you think? What a strange, strange, strange movie. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, one of the things that was surprising to me was like, it's not very subtle. It's pretty much like, no, no, like, this is, like, an allegory. This is a metaphor for, like, class structure, you know? Yes. Um, and I was surprised that they just went full tilt in that direction. Um, it reminded me, have you seen Snowpiercer? No, I have not. My neighbor's fence just fell down outside. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's pretty scary out there right now. Yeah, like, their fence just went out into the street. Oof. That's fucking crazy. 
Okay. Uh, anyways, yeah, no, the, um, <laughs> the, um, I am so distracted now. Snowpiercer is about, it's the same guy that directed Parasite, which was just a huge Oscar winner, um, and it has Captain America in it, um, Chris Evans, and basically it's about a train in some post-apocalyptic ice age and the only way that like they'll survive is if the train keeps running the train has to keep going forward if it stops everybody will freeze to death and basically like food is prepared at the front of the train and then it's like sent backwards the same way that the platform kind of works you know right. um it reminded me a lot of that movie um and i i feel like they're a little bit different but yeah i mean i think the platform ha has its own identity and is pretty unique but it definitely feels like um like if you watch those back to back you would get kind of the same story um the same message coming across um i think snowpiercer might have been based on a comic book too um but yeah no i liked it a lot um and I felt like it was appropriately cynical and pessimistic. Um, uh -huh. What do you think it was, like, other than class, like, what do you think, we're, we're going to get into spoilers for the platform here. Um, yeah. What do you think the overall message was, as far as, like, the, the girl is the is the what is it the girl is the message is that it yeah i mean that's the um that's what they said but they're you know i kind of read up on it and there's a theory that the uh there was never even a girl there that they were just so they're suffering so much malnutrition that they were just kind of hallucinating there and that it was the um whatever the fuck the name of that dessert was the entire time Oh. And just like those scenes where the, the, the cook is freaking out. Cause like the workers, they don't know how bad it is in the pit, you know? Right. So it seems like the chef and all this time gets something sent back and he's like freaking out at the workers. It looks like, you know, there's no sound. You don't know what they're saying, but you know, you can put together that. It seems like there was like an eyebrow or something yeah. in the, in the, in the dessert. Um, but that's, that's the theory, is that there was never any little girl, you know? Huh. And that they, they did, they were successful in sending the dessert back up there. Huh. Well, it's interesting, too, because the, the idea of, like, the, the hair being stuck in the dessert, and then, uh -huh. like, the last shot of the little girl, like, rising up on the platform, it's like there's an emphasis on the wind blowing through her hair. Uh -huh. um, so, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I... Other than class, I I don't know. You know, I, I feel like it has a lot to do with, like, the way the world is, just mm. in general. Yeah. I felt like you know, the, the, the director, I read something that he had said that for him it's it's easy to be a good person when you have. And he was like, but 
the less you have, the harder it is to be good, you know? Uh-huh. So, like, it almost feels like a comment on, like, desperation in our society. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I It was thought-provoking, but also there was enough stuff in there that I... I don't know that there was, like, a major message. It was just sort of an exploration of sort of haves and have-nots, you know? Yeah, And, yes. and the way that capitalism is structured. Um, uh-huh. The only difference and the part of the argument that, like, where it starts to fall apart for me is that, like, capitalism... There are some people that are born into it, and they kind of just have loads of money, you know, for no reason they're just lucky enough to have parents that had made it you know um but capitalism is at the end of the day it's a system that rewards people who are savvy so yeah like somebody can be born into immense wealth but they also have the option to piss it all away and wind up with nothing um so the fact that they don't means that they earn their right to be higher up on the platform, you know? Uh-huh. So, I... That's the part that's missing. It's like, this movie assumes that you just will wake up, you know, better off than everybody else, as opposed to having worked to get there. Like, I, I felt like my... Like, they're, they're, where they wind up in this gigantic tower, you know, or this, I, the, in the pit, you know, where they wind up isn't based on their actions. It's based on blind luck. I don't feel like people that were at the top seemed like they were better than the people below, um, or that they had earned the right to be there. And I feel like you could have had a more thought provoking movie if that was the case. Because you would have it start out being like a condemnation of capitalism. But then it would do that weird switch where it's like, yeah, but like also the people that are up there earns it. And like your character, your protagonist that has done very good things throughout the movie is rising up the levels because he's being good, you know, because he's succeeding where other people have failed, you know. And it's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I think that it's the same type of feeling that I get when I have conversations about capitalism and communism with people. Because it's uh-huh. like, I, I think communism is a wonderful idea in theory. But then in practice, people are inherently capitalistic. So, like, you can be, like, the leader of a communist nation and stuff, but you're going to be, like... You're, you're going to look at everything that's going to be distributed and be like, okay, and I'm going to take 20% of that from me, and then the rest will evenly distribute. So it's like, there's no, uh, I think communism breaks down just because humans vie for resources, you know? And I think capitalism breaks down because I think that sometimes it as a system can be rigged. Um, uh-huh. and I think it is a system is sometimes based on luck. Um, so I don't know, but definitely thought provoking. 
Yes, at the very least. Um, have you been up to anything else? Um, Saturday night we watched Onward. I don't oh. know if you've seen that. The Pixar movie? Yes. Yeah, no, I haven't watched it yet. It's good. It's a good one. It's, uh, get you in the feels. Yeah. As most Pixar movies do. I, but, I, uh, I feel I like it. the character designs for Star-Lord and Spider-Man seem really odd in that movie. <laughs> like, they don't even look like their comic book counterparts at all. Right? <laughs> I saw someone say that uh, it's more of an Andy Dwyer type character, which I agree with. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I mean, Tom Holland's only done Spider-Man from what I know, so I guess he's stuck as Spider-Man. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It does sort of feel like that's gonna be like his legacy. Did he uh-huh. like? Was he really? I'm trying to think of like anything else that I had seen him in, and I can't. To be perfectly honest. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that you're. That you're wrong about that. I feel like pretty much from. Spider Man. Uh, yeah, I'm like looking at his filmography right now, and it, it's pretty sparse before Spider-Man. Uh huh. It's crazy. Well, he was wasn't he pretty young when he when he did when he first appeared in Civil War? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't look like there was much before that. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, no, um, he. Uh, I like him in in the Spider-Man part, and I, I think he does have a good voice for. Um, for cartoon stuff, so I've been thinking uh-huh. about watching that. I just haven't gotten around to it. <laughs> Recommended? Good, re- yeah, I definitely do. Yeah, all right, I do for sure. But other than that, you know, not much really. I've been trying to go out, be more active. I'm going on some runs, and I mean, today it's kind of hectic outside. So figure yeah. something out to do on the inside here. Just having a small ass apartment. So. It's tough to find room and space to really get a good workout in, but I'll make do. Yeah. You got to work out like um, Tom Hardy did for Bronson. In, uh, have you seen Bronson? Yeah, you had me watch it a real long time ago. Yeah. He's like an inmate in Britain that I think he was supposed to go in for like four years and then his sentence got extended to seven years and now it's like he's facing life because he just will not stop assaulting people in jail um he's a fucking maniac but because like when tom hardy was like trying to develop the look of the character and stuff one of the philosophies that they took was we have to put you through like any muscle that you gain has to be gained within a like a 10 by 6 rectangle you know or whatever the whatever the right cell size would be, but like pretty much like this is the size of the jail cell that Bronson is allowed to work out in because he's in like lockdown. So it's like, how does he get that big in that small of a space? And all of Tom Hardy's exercises were, you know, built with that philosophy for that movie. Uh-huh. Oh, that's is, interesting. Yeah, all the body weight stuff. Yeah, that's why he looks so like dense. You know, because he's not doing a lot of like stretchy, runny activities. You know, it's like yeah. he's just, rah, yeah, rah, you know. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, that's kind of the philosophy of home workouts at this point. Uh-huh. How do you get as big as possible in a small area? Um, I've been doing pretty well at that, just not like big in the way that I should be. <laughs> yes. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting pretty big, but <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, man. So, what do you think? You want to dive into this? Yes. All right. I'd love to. All right. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back with more show. Ooh. Crunchy. Um, So, as I do at the start of every on-topic section of the show, finally in the habit of doing it, uh, John, uh, what what the fuck are we talking about? Well, as mentioned on last episode, we're fucking talking about Kill Bill, not only Volume 1, but Volume 2 as well. So this is Quarantino Episode 4. So we kind of got like a 4A and a 4B, I guess you could say, yeah. in one episode. Yeah, we're just going to tackle that whole thing. I feel like I feel like doing it as one complete story makes the most sense. Uh, I know that they were released as separate movies and they're considered separate movies, but I uh, I feel like it's necessary to just kind of look at it as an entire piece. Um, what did you think? Um, not that big a fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, I thought this one. It jumped around as his previous movies did, but I don't feel like it connected them as well. I thought there was a lot more moving parts to this one, and it did get a little confusing to me. Mm-hmm. And I felt this movie was like a hybrid, like American martial arts movie, and then, you know, like one of those like typical like outlandish martial arts movies. And I feel like he kind of threw it together, and it just didn't fit. Yeah. This one I, feels. I like, no, go, go I ahead. My, oh, sorry. No, no, I was just saying, am I, am I supposed to go with like a serious tone of this movie, or am I supposed to just not take it serious? And then, like, you know, there would be long periods of time where I'm like, all right, like, I, you know, I'm taking this as a serious movie. And then, like, certain things would happen. And I'm like, yeah, this is just kind of a joke now. I'm like, it's a pretty serious story here. And, like, you know, I, I feel like there's a way to do it well, and I don't think he did it. <laughs> I don't think he did well. I don't know if you got that same feeling. It's like amazing when so like when you like a movie, you you just kind of you just like the movie, you know, and and the way that you talk about them, you you just appreciate them, but you don't I don't I feel like when you like something, you don't think about it as much. You're just like, yeah, I liked it. But when you don't like something, <laughs> when you start, no, it's a good thing. When you don't like something and you start talking about it, it's like you're you're very good at collecting your thoughts and figuring out the pieces of what you didn't like about it, you know? Uh-huh. And I think that like it's really, it's a good skill to have. You have like a good critical eye for this stuff and i know that 
because I know that I do. And I know that my thoughts about this movie mirror your thoughts about this movie, like 100%. Oh, I'm um, glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. So, especially when I first saw it, that was my, my takeaway first seeing the Kill Bill movies. I was like, shit is not for me, man. This does not work for me. Um, over time, I've grown to like them more. Um, but it definitely it definitely was an uphill battle for me when I first saw it. So I'm not surprised that you feel the same way. Um, I think that the tone is very strange. It's super odd. Um, it goes between... Like, I think it plays each scene almost, like, separate of the others. So each scene has a drastically different tone than the other parts of the movie that you've seen. So if they're showing you, like, the bride beaten and bloodied and Bill about to shoot her in the head, it's played with, like, all this drama and this, like, really verbose sense of dread and, like, pain, you know, and suffering. And then if they're doing a big action-packed sword fight at the House of Blue Leaves, it's like, well, then it's super action-y and, like, over-the-top top martial arts, and the tone isn't consistent with what you saw of her before. Or if it's her, um, her going after, like, the the her former associate I can't remember the fucking name I'm so sorry um, but it's like her going after her former associate and and her daughter comes home from school well that's like funny right so like the tone of that is is it's a very comedic scene most of the way through um, so it's like it's weird it like it really does jump around with your expectations and I feel like Unlike Pulp Fiction, where you could you could untangle that mess, but I shouldn't say mess. Mess carries like a bad connotation, but you can untangle the threads of of Pulp Fiction and put them back in order, and it won't seem odd. It'll just seem like a very different movie. If you tried to do that with this, I think if you tried to tell this story linear, linearly, the fact that that tone jumps around so much would actually completely topple it. I feel like yes. this movie needs to be told in these little bite-sized segments because each segment is totally different tonally than the one that came before it. It's almost like he had the idea of Kill Bill and he made one completely cheesy, just outlandish movie and then he made one like serious like revenge story and then he just fucking mushed them together. Yeah. Just mushed them together. And it's just, it's so fucking weird. Like, you know, you talk about that scene where, you know, in the beginning, she's, she's about to kill that woman and her daughter comes home, you know, and they're, they go into the kitchen and then it's all like, oh, blah, 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 bitch, blah, 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 bitch, bitch, this, bitch, that. And I'm like, it has like a very like, like bring it on, like cheerleader rivalry, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. type feel there. Yeah. And I'm like, this is just, it doesn't fit it didn't work for me yeah no it is and then she just tries to shoot her 
those are nice. Like there was some, there was some cool action scenes. I'll give mm-hmm. it that. Yeah. You know, there were some cool visuals. There was some pretty gory stuff, which I, you know, there was some of it that I did like. I thought it could have worked. Yeah. And then there were just some things that were just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's it's like funny. Like, um, I think I said last episode that this is Tarantino. It is at his least restrained it's like he's just like anything that he wants to do is is a great idea in kill bill you know (laughs) yeah Um, and i think that i think that at first i found that really jarring and now i kind of appreciate it a little bit more um this is tarantino like completely uncut unhinged just you know, doing whatever he wants. And, um, I don't, it's, it's not my favorite of his movies, but it definitely kind of, it's not his, it's not my least favorite either. You know, it's like, it, it kind of has its place in the pantheon of his films. Um, but there definitely is like this sense of, um, you know, this sense it's like a high wire act. Like it's, it's always just about to completely fall apart. Um, and it never quite does, but it, it does get closer than most Tarantino movies. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. Now, did you, all right. So we talked about the structure of the movie. There isn't really a structure. It's kind of like he's, choosing emotional high points and he's figuring out where to place them for maximum effectiveness so that by the time you get to the end you've gone on like this big roller coaster journey um now i think that that i think that it that the jumping around is a plus only in the sense that if you didn't do that like i said i think the movie would be more noticeably disjointed. Like, ironically, disjointing it the way that he does here actually makes it seem less disjointed. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I can get behind that. Because I'm like, imagine the movie starting, like, imagine it in order, like the bride's wedding, and then all the gunshots from outside of the chapel, and then Bill killing her, then her waking up in the hospital with that fucking scumbag buck. Uh, and, like, just unraveling the movie in that way, it, it feels very... I think that structurally that story would be just as satisfying, but I think that the... Uh, I think that the build-up to get her on her revenge mission would take too long. And I also think that uh like we said like that that turning back and forth from tone to tone would be harder to handle mm-hmm. it'd have to change a lot of things it just wouldn't feel like the same movie no like it kind of doesn't here in some mm-hmm. scenes i wonder like i wonder how much of that like he's aware of as he's writing or if it's not really a consideration if it's just like I'm going to find the tone in each scene. Uh, 
I'm going to find the tone on a scene-by-scene -scene basis, more or less, you know? I wonder if he sets out with an idea of tone, or if he's just letting what comes to him be what it is. That's what it seems like. Feels that way, right? Like, he, he didn't write, like, an entire script. Like, he wrote the scenes and then just shuffled them into place. Yeah, it's almost like he was writing this movie and he was like, it would be really cool to have a scene like this. And I don't have another movie that I could put it in, but I can make it work here and I'm just going to plug it in. Mm. It's like, it seems like he went scene by scene and there were things he really liked and he goes, I'm just going to make it work. Yeah, this is where I want it. This is what's going to happen. I'm God. Um, yeah. I mean, it's his movie. You know, he has every right to do it. Mm -hmm. I just found it kind of off-putting. No, I totally get it. Like that, your your feelings about this are very, like I said, they're very similar to the way that I view it. Um, <clears throat> because it just, I think his other movies are like stylish with focused intent you know and this one feels like it's stylish without focused intent like it's stylish and that's the only thing that it really cares about is being stylish so he and he, he you know it pays a lot of homage to you know like kung fu movies from like the 70s you know and like I, there's a charm to that and i really like some of those cheesy moments the problem is that it like it also kind of cuts into the narrative at times too. So like if the narrative feels cheesy at times and then like overly serious at other times, it gets harder and harder to buy into it as a complete product, you know? Right. When you talk about Kill Bill, like are you gonna be like, Oh, I really love Kill Bill as a movie? Or are you gonna be like, Oh, I really like that scene from Kill Bill? And in my experience, I usually am talking about scenes from Kill Bill as opposed to the film. Yes. You know? and that Having that... just watched them and haven't really talked about it until now, I that makes complete sense. I was, I had the exact same feeling. There was certain things that I liked about it, but the movie as a whole, overall, I, you know, I, it doesn't grade very high in my uh, opinion there. Yeah. Um, now, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about a couple things that I really like in it. Because um, I feel like we've been we've been pretty good about pointing out things that we don't like so far, and we'll get back to more of that soon. But hell yeah, we will. <laughs> but I feel like I think Uma Thurman, she's not like one of my favorite actresses. I feel like she does a really good job in the part that she's given, and I buy into her struggle. And I also find myself like at a certain point really cheering her on and really feeling like you know really feeling like i'm buying into the legend of the character like she's gone through enough shit that i actually like am putting her higher up in the pantheon of like movie protagonists you know um one of my favorite sequences in the movie is when she goes to confront bud uh who's played by michael madsen um, I feel like she gets put through her fucking paces um, in that sequence. Um, she gets shot in the chest with rock salt pellets out of a shotgun. Um, she gets stripped of all of her weaponry. She gets tied up. 
she gets buried alive, you know, like all of these things. And then the fact that like, I like the way that they, they showed her buried alive and stuck in this position. She can't move. And then they go back into her training and they show the, like the three inch punch, which is like kind of like a famous Bruce Lee thing. Like there's video of Bruce Lee, like doing the three inch punch and knocking people back like six feet, you know? So I thought that that was cool. Um, and I like the fact that that's when they chose to play that card because then you see her in the coffin and she has to do like the three inch punch to break out, you know, to bust the lid of the coffin so that she can escape. And um, I think that that whole sequence, like number one, I'm, I've thought about being buried alive multiple times and it is probably one of the scariest thoughts that I can come up with. Like it is just yep. horrendous. That whole idea makes me sick to my stomach. And I think about the fucking people that like there were this was like such a common problem. Burying people alive was such a common problem that they had to attach a bells from the coffin up a tube to the gravestone. So if you woke up in a coffin, you'd ring the fucking bell so that somebody would come and dig you up. Like, that was a thing that used to happen to people. And I've heard about people being like, holy shit, I'm in a coffin, let me out! And they grab the string and they pull the ring and the fucking, the string breaks. Oh, so then they're just dude, stuck there, man. It. I can't. I can't. It makes me fucking sick to my stomach thinking about that shit. If I had to say that I'm afraid of something, it'd probably be that, you know? Like, fucking cremate me. If I don't start screaming when you're cremating me, then fine. You know? <laughs> then I yeah. guess I'm dead. But, like, the whole idea of getting buried alive just makes my skin crawl. Like, it is so disturbing to me. Um, it's tough to watch those scenes. You feel like you're you're in that coffin. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, like, Uma Thurman's performance there is really good because I feel like she... You know, we're, we're presented her as the strong, stoic character, and you really see her, like, at the bottom of, you know, pretty much at, at her most defeated, you know? Um, and I think that... I, I, I think that that scene was really, um, really powerful for me and really built her up more than she had been previously, you know? Um, I think that... That whole little detour in the story with Michael Madsen, I, I like a lot. Um, I also like that um, she winds up having that big battle with... Um, God damn it. With Daryl Hannah's character. Why am I so bad at this? The, the eye patch lady? Yeah. <laughs> Daryl Hannah's character. I can't remember character. names either, dude. I just watched it. <laughs> but I like that big fight. Um... I like how, like, down and dirty it is by comparison to a lot of the other things that we've seen. Um, and I like the resolution of it, too. Um, Daryl Hannah obviously has the one eye because it was ripped out by the person that trained uh, the bride. And I like that the culmination of that fight is the bride taking her last remaining eye. Um, yes. I thought that that, that was, was pretty That was a cool. positive yeah. in this movie for me as well. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that fight a lot. <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> I guess I just heard that 
I guess Quentin Tarantino had originally planned something out that was more like the Oranishi fight with Lucy Liu. Um, uh-huh. And then at the last minute, he decided to change it into what we got. And the reason that he decided to change it was because he had just seen Jackass. Um, so he watched Jackass and he saw these guys like destroying shit and he just realized the joy of just watching people destroy shit. And he was like, that's what that fight scene is going to be. We're going to do Jackass with these characters. So wow, that's, that's what led to all the wall smashing and table breaks and all that shit. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty fucking cool, man. Mm-hmm. Jackass was a show, obviously I turned into a movie that was like huge when I was younger. Yeah. Man. Like hugely influenced me and my sense of humor and the mm-hmm. dumb shit that me and my friends would do in the, around the neighborhood growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And that's really cool to hear. <laughs> yeah. I, I I like when people that I consider to be relative intellectuals um, kind of dive into, like, the the muck and mire of pop culture. Because I feel like it's easy to dismiss Jackass, and it's easy... You, you know how much of a fan I am of, like, Eric Andre. It's, like, yeah. it's easy to dismiss that stuff as mindless, but there's actually, like, some type of high art to what is happening. Yeah, and, and it's like, you know, like it's so base, but it, it's like if you know anything about uh, the artistic movement called Dadaism, it's basically like, um, it's essentially like, like it, it, the reason it's called Dada is because it's the way like a baby would say daddy, you know? So it's like about like infantilization. It's about like, like succumbing to your like, most base characteristics and it's about kind of like exploring that space and i feel like things like jackass and the eric andre show they like force you into uh some expression of dadaism and i think there's something kind of whimsical about it you know the fact like like perfectly functioning adults that know right from wrong and that know the risks involved with the shit they're doing are still you know, are still deciding to follow through with, uh, you know, this mindless shit, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like literally they walk into a shop that sells toilets and they shit right into a non-working toilet. (laughs) That's, that's, that's exactly it, dude. Like, that's exactly it. Like, Dadaism is like, that why? type of shit. Why do you do that? To me, like, there's something beautiful about it, though, because it's like, it's, it's, it's like, now, it's like you've asked the question, when is it not okay to shit in a toilet? And you found the answer. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you're expressing it. And there's something amazingly funny about that. There's some weird disconnect that your brain does and the tension between you know, what is acceptable and what is not in that instance is, like, unbearably funny. <laughs> yeah, um... It's not something... I don't think Jackass would have been what it became if it had started out in the current times. No. 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 I just... No. No way. Or even, like, the Eric Andre show, like, the that they owe... I think Eric Andre owes something to Jackass in a, in a pretty serious way because his stunts are very similar to what they did on their show. Um, but yeah, so it, it's... Uh, I just thought that that was an interesting piece of information. 
as far as Kill Bill, that like Jackass was the thing that caused that that change in what they were planning to do with that fight. You know, um, mm-hmm. it feels way more appropriate too, um, given the setting, like Bud's trailer. Um, yeah, it would. It, it's a better match for that type of a fight. Whereas the Oranishi one is outside the House of Blue Leaves, that, like, you know, restaurant bar thing that's, like, very ornate and beautiful. So it was like, yeah, like, that's a nice, elegant, you know, sword fight makes sense here. And then I I like the fact that the one in Bud's apartment is like, yeah, there's, like, a sword fight component, but, like, really, it's like a slap fest, you know? Like, it is a slap fest. It's kicks and punches and throws, you know? It's just an all-out brawl. Very, very white trash fight, you know? Um, So, yeah, I'm trying to think if... uh, I mean, there's so many different things to talk about in this movie and in these two because we're talking, like, such a wide spectrum but um i mean with the way that it's filmed it might you know it very well could just be one big movie yeah because we don't even see the full scene of that wedding until the second movie yeah yeah it's all over the place in terms of plot structure like it, it doesn't really feel like there is much of a plot structure the only thing that's guaranteed is like bill isn't gonna die in the first movie like that's uh-huh. the you know we're leading to that so it, that's the one thing that stays on the table until the very end. Um, I like some of his, like, I like the way that he does, like, the cliffhanger at the end of the first movie. I like that the reveal that, like, her uh, daughter is alive. Um, Yes. That was kind of cool. I like some of the musical cues in the movie, just because they are so strange and, and, and... Almost off-putting, but, like, I, I like them a lot. Um, in particular, like, the that, like, siren sound that would come up when she would, like, see somebody that was involved in her, like, almost murder. And, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, the screen would go, like, red, and you'd start seeing, like, the flashback to the day that it happened and everything. I like that thing. Um, and I also like... I think during the Lucy Liu fight, there's a uh, there's a musical cue in that that's like very unusual. It doesn't sound like a samurai thing. It sounds like a black exploitation type thing or a uh, or an old like jazzy kind of vibe. Um, and I thought that that was. I I think that that's the thing is like Tarantino like understands style. You know, he gets style. He knows how to like put together something so that it's flashy and uh, exciting. Um, in this case, it's just, it's like, it's like we said, it's all the parts of it. There's a lot of parts of it that are really great. And then just all together, it just feels weird, you know? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we jump around with scenes like, like how, um, oh, what's her name? The, the, the scene you were just talking about with that jazzy musical cue. Yeah, Oranishi. Yeah, Lucy how Luke. she... I believe it was her story when her parents were murdered in front of her, right? Yes, yes. Just that whole cartoon scene. I mean, that is yes. brutal. That is a brutal scene. Yeah, yeah. 
that doesn't go anywhere good either. It's like no, she like survives, and then it's like, oh, the guy that killed her parents was also a pedophile. So like, yay, now he's yeah taking her, and it's like and Jesus how, Christ, it's so fucking yeah. dark. That's how she gets her revenge and everything. And it's like, <sighs> I just don't like that he picked it and choose chooses which scenes get that type of cheesy tone to it. Yeah. Like, when you have a scene like that where, like, there was nothing about that whatsoever that, like, had any bit of comic relief there. No. It was, like, it, it was just to a point where, I mean, she's hiding under the bed and the sword comes through and then she gets blood dripping all over her face and it's just, like, brutal and it's gory, which is, like, on par with some of his more gruesome scenes. Yeah. And it's just, I don't... <sighs> I feel like it's harder to to get into that zone there with some of like the the stupid shit that he does in other scenes. Once you see something like that, yeah, I I would agree. It, it's like it, it's very um, you know, it's like we keep saying it, but it's like it's disjointed. It just is, and there are times where that dissonance is really fun. Um, like, I love that musical cue in the Oranishi fight, and I like the fact that it doesn't match up, but it's just, like, there's such dark, oppressive subject matter, and then it's, like, I'm trying to, I'm looking at something right now, because I'm, is the, the animated sequence, right, that shows her, her flashback, right, that thing doesn't it immediately lead into, like, the mob bosses at the table? Mm, I don't remember exactly. It's tough because I watched the first one last night and the second one today, and it is kind of mixing. So, like, some of the scenes, I, I can remember what order they came in, but others, like I said, it doesn't help that the movie jumps a little place anyway, but... right. I feel like they show, like, her parents get killed, she kills the guy, she becomes the assassin, shoots the dude in the car, and then I feel like they show a little bit of the bride. Oh, no, I'm wrong. Sorry. It cuts back to the bride, like, in the car on the way to go see Oranishi. All right. So, yeah. No, it's not that big of a deal. But... It just, it is kind of weird. It's like this big, dark, sad scene. And then I feel like the next time, chronologically, you see anything with her is um, her cutting the dude's head off at the table during that, like, uh, kind of, like, mob meeting thing. Uh-huh. And um, that scene's almost funny. You know? It is played for laughs and stuff. And I feel like the... I don't know, everything that happened to her is so terrible. Uh-huh. And then they... I don't know, it, it's, it's just weird. And I'm not saying that, like, it has to be terrible all the way through for that character. Yeah. It just, it does, it just feels strange. Like, you can't bring up years of, you know... You can't bring up, like, the, tra- the, the trauma of, like, watching your family get killed and then years of pedophilic abuse and then just not consider that the rest of the movie? I don't know. It's it's very odd. 
Agreed. Um, I like that little Charlie Brown character she had, too. That was funny. (laughs) (laughs) It does feel like... I think that there's a disconnect too because you're telling an animation studio what you want. So it's like the animation studio has to kind of like guess as to what the tone of the movie is. So they did their part and it feels like they told a much darker story than the rest of the movie. Um, so there's a big disconnect like it, like the live action scenes with Lucy Liu feel funnier than that animated sequence by a long shot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to jump ahead. I wanted to find that music cue really bad. I think it's shortly after. It's right before, like, the second part of the fight. I just want to, like, hear it. Yeah, this is the silent section. It's just like I like the I like the sound design in it, where it's like there's this intense quiet and the sound of like the swords, you know, clanging together. Um, mm-hmm. And I like some of the shots, like the little fountain that has the thing that's filling up with water that dumps over. Um, there's like a lot of like artistry in this movie. Like he really gets to show off his framing um and the way that he like builds a scene um more so than he can in something like reservoir dogs like there's no room for like art artistry in that type of a movie and this one it feels like some of the shots are like meditative you know on the on the violence you know um and i like that quality to it you almost wonder if you could do that with a like standard american crime movie too Uh it'd be different but it might be kind of cool but yeah um so i don't know uh i think that overall i i Overall, there's more pieces of the movie that I like than pieces that I don't, I would say. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Another thing that was weird is, like, I felt like a lot of these times when she has confrontations with these people that that were sent to kill her, that she almost just, like, didn't want to kill them, but felt like she had to. Even though they were like, I'm out of the game, I'm done, it's over. And she's like, yeah, you know, it's cool. I forgive you. Mm -hmm. So, like, how do you want to die, though? (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of like... Like, I wasn't sold on, like, a revenge story. Like, you didn't seem all that angry. Yeah, it's kind of like... I don't know. Honor, you know what I mean? It's like, this is just something that is... It has to happen, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which it feels like that's kind of like a classic... um, that's like a classic sort of trait of those old Kung Fu movies, you know? So he's kind of like exploring that in, in this. Um, but it is it is kind of strange sometimes, you know? It's not yeah. something I, I hate, but it's it's a little bit jarring for like a modern American audience 
you know it doesn't feel like it, for us it's like i guess the i guess the general sense is just that there's if you're not passionate about something then why do it but in this case it's like this is this is something that like needs to be done on principle you know um i'm just like I just went through to try to find that spot. I think I did, but I just was like that. That musical cue is so interesting to me, and and I like the way that it builds to it, where it's like the silence with Lucy Liu and Uma Thurman, like out in the snow, like preparing to fight. Um, I really like that scene. It's probably one of the ones that stands out the most to me. Out of both movies? Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite part? Um, oh, jeez. No. Not really. Um, like, one that I do think of is, I, I forget the name of the, the uh, girl she was fighting, but she kind of had that, it's kind of like a mace, almost. Oh, go-go. That's, yeah. I thought yeah. that was a pretty cool fight scene. Yeah. I enjoyed that one. Her character is like super interesting. I, I I like that she's like, you know, looked at as being completely mad, you know, out of her mind. Um, here it is. It's that. I love the music here. Is it still going? Yeah. Can you hear it? Now I can, yeah. Now I can. Yeah, that's not coming through if it's playing right now. Yeah. I think uh, Anchor has it. I can see the sound waves. Yeah, now, uh, yeah it's kind of coming in and out. It's interesting because I feel like the visuals are, like the visuals are two women having like a samurai sword fight, right? But to me, that sounds like it's uh, like music from Mexico, you know? I don't know a lot about music, but I'm just saying this doesn't sound like uh, what you would typically associate with like a samurai sword fight. And I think that that's one of the things that I like when Tarantino does. I like that dissonance um, and that disconnect between what you're seeing and what you're hearing. Um, it's sort of like it's another shade of the uh, stuck in the middle with you fight. Or a Stuck in the Middle with You song from uh, Reservoir Dogs. It's like you're hearing like such a happy song and you're seeing visuals that are so horrific, you know? Um, yeah. And it kind of feels like, like another shade of that concept, you know? There was, there was a... Uh, uh, um, that happened in that... What was that place called again? Um, um, where she had that, that final fight with Gogo. Oh, the House of Blue Leaves. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, there was a bit of that. There was, I, feel, fucking, I can't really forget it already what the, the song was. There was a song that was playing in the background. Yeah. During that scene, that was like kind of like a happy, upbeat thing. And like, I do enjoy that because I've seen it done in other movies. You know, um, it's kind of like, you ever see uh, Dawn of the Dead, like the most recent one? Yes. In the 2000s when they have it, it, it's some guy singing a rendition of uh, Down With The Sickness. Yes, Richard Cheese. It's just, yeah, Richard Cheese, yeah. It's just, it's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I, it's kind of like a, it's, it's almost it's a similar thing, you know, in that in that point. But it's like they changed the song kind of something a little more like upbeat and happy, but it's still down with the sickness. Yeah, the zombie apocalypse. I Richard Cheese is like one of those like national treasures. Like he does so many like hilarious versions of like these uh, supposedly badass songs, you know, but like, he just like takes the piss right out of them, you know, <laughs> he just mm-hmm. makes them so fucking goofy. Um, yeah, he, he does a good one of, um, Chop Suey, the system of a down song. Oh, I haven't heard his version of that. Oh my sounds... God. It's like, you're, you know, you're just, it's such a like dramatic song. You know, and it's so like heartfelt and stuff, and he just fucking destroys it. <laughs> <laughs> he is really funny, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think that like, you know, even like, I'm a big fan of Stanley Kubrick, and even like Stanley Kubrick has that in some of his movies. There's the famous, you know, scene of um, <clears throat> when in a Clockwork Orange, Alex DeLarge and his gang break into this house and they um they assault the homeowner and then they sexually assault his wife and as the like during the build up to that um Alex sings uh I'm singing in the rain uh-huh. um you know which like when you think of that song pretty much all you think of is um all you think of is like the the dance number from the old movie, the guy like swinging around on the light pole and like happy go lucky, even though it's raining, I'm still having fun and all this stuff. And it's like the, uh, it it is just a sickening use of that song. It's very off putting. Um, and I think that there's something to, there's something to that move in movies. Um, and I think that, again, it's about, like, developing tension in the mind of your audience. Um, uh-huh. So, you know, it, it works really well uh, to that end. And I think Tarantino uses it in other ways, too. Like, you know, this... Like, I was talking... You know, talking about that fight scene with Lucy Liu and Uma, it's, like... It, it's a pretty slow-paced fight scene. And it starts in such a quiet way that you're like fully, you know, you're fully into sort of a meditative kind of state. And then all of a sudden he busts out that like really rousing music and it kind of changes the way that you receive that information. And it gets you, I think because you've been lulled into like that quietness, it makes you that much more excited when things are about to kick off, you know? Uh-huh. Um, I think he does some like fascinating things with the sound editing here, you know, um, and 
the way that that gets put together. Uh, I think that that's probably, for me, the biggest highlight of the movie, and the thing that you can learn the most from with Kill Bill. Just because it takes balls to make those decisions, you know? Yeah. It, it takes balls to be like, I'm going to put, like, a big, you know, a big, intense, fun song in the middle of, like, my climactic battle. You know, this is the last scene of my movie, and I'm going to, you know, risk making it a joke or something. Risk making it... Um, Less emotional, you know, uh-huh. risk letting the audience in on the fact that they are just watching a movie um, instead of keeping them fully invested in the quietness of the scene. It's, it's interesting. And he knows he's daring when he, like, makes those decisions. And I appreciate that, you know. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because, like, you know, I know he's mentioned that I've seen... I've seen this done in other movies, and uh, but uh, you know you you create things a lot more than I ever have. Mm-hmm. So you you kind of you see things from that perspective. Um, so it's funny, you know. I, I never think of it a way as like, hey, this is like my big my big scene. This you know, and how big of a risk that actually is mm-hmm. to compromise that with you know your music choice. Yeah. So it does give me a, sense, a more sense for um, the greatest sense of appreciation for it. Yeah, it's like it's just you know if you have like this emotional stake that you've been building to, and I mean they have they have the other woman in the beginning of the movie dies, but you're really you you've been building to this big gigantic action piece, and it's probably the biggest action piece that's in the entire movie. Or in the entirety of both movies. And, you know, you can put... You can put your intent at hazard when you make a choice like that, you know? Um, and I always... You know, Tarantino is... Um, he's great with sort of trying to arouse that... Um, I don't know what the word would be. He wants to, like, he wants to make you uncomfortable, you know? Um, and sometimes music choice is a big part of that. Like, the what Zed does to Marcellus Wallace in the basement of that pawn shop, it's, like, it's made all the more horrific by, like, the music that's playing. The music that's playing is, like, party time music, you know? And it's paired with, you know, somebody being raped, you know? And it's, it's very... Um, very carefully thought out what he's doing, you know, and and what he's trying to cause you to feel as an audience member, you know? Uh Do you ever see, um, did you ever see, um, David Fincher's remake of uh, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? Um, I think so. They have like a long. There's, there's a what? There's a Swedish version, mm-hmm. and then there's the version you're talking about, right? Yeah, the version I'm talking about has uh, Rooney Mara as uh, the girl, as Elizabeth. 
Um, but in that movie, like, they added in the idea that the dude that's, like, torturing these women, like, he plays, like, a song that's, like, it's, like, the song, like, it's the soundtrack to his depravity. And the song isn't, like, a death metal, you know, crazy anthem or anything. The song is, um, I forget what the name of it is, but it's, like, sail away, sail away, sail away, you know? It's very, like, calm and... Uh, in terms of content, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's not trying to hurt anybody, you know? This is a very calm, gentle song, and the fact that that's the chosen song for the horror that this dude's putting these people through is, um, you know, it's like stomach-turning, you know? And, and now, anytime you hear that fucking song, it's completely fucking soiled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't listen to that song anymore and not remember what... Not think of something horrible. <laughs> no! No! It's fucking crazy, dude. Um, mm-hmm. But that, that... There's a rich tradition of taking kind-hearted, gentle songs and turning them into, you know, into something that makes people, like, sick to their stomach when they hear it. <laughs> I hear that guy, like, I'm singing in the rain, and I'm just like, leave her alone! You know? Yeah. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> uh, but yeah. No, I mean, I think that that's, that's the big one for me with Kill Bill, is just music choice. Um, I think it's a stylish, stylish movie, um, regardless of how I feel about the script, you know? Um and I like pretty much all the performances, too. I don't have anybody that stands out as being bad, you know. Um, there are a couple more people that he uses once and doesn't talk to again. Like, I feel like Daryl Hannah isn't. And I feel like David Carradine isn't either, but I think he he actually died, so it sort of makes more sense. Yeah. Um, what were you going to say? I was gonna ask who that first guy was that you mentioned. Oh no, Daryl Hannah is um, the blonde woman, the eye patch. Oh okay, yeah. sorry. Um, My bad. I know. I never really thought about that before, but like Daryl is like a male name usually. Hmm. Yeah, I've never, I've never um, heard of a female named Daryl, so it's just hmm. come to mind when you said Daryl. You know, I think Daryl Dixon from The Walking Dead or something. You know. Imagine if Daryl Dixon had that hair. <laughs> It'd be kind of beautiful. Like Fabio. <laughs> um, let's see. I do you have it? Oh, shut up, computer. Um, do you have anything else that you uh, really don't like? Um. Yeah, I will say. So by the time they get to the second movie and they kind of show her training process, I don't give a shit about it. I've already kind of assumed that she went and trained with the same people or the you know the same type of people that these assassins had trained with, and I've already made peace with it, hmm. and I've moved on and not cared about it. So I felt like that was a huge waste of time. Yeah, I... I like. I mean, that's just you know how I. It's just as it was going on, I was like, I don't need to see this. I kind of assumed mm-hmm. pretty much all this. Like, it's just it's nothing that's 
I needed. It's not a puzzle piece that he needed to put there. Mm-hmm. I've already done this in my own mind, and it's pretty much the same result. So, you know, it was just kind of a boring time in the movie for me. It's funny, like in the same. I brought it up as a positive earlier, and what I I think what I mean is that I like that they show that in her training she has actually developed this punch that's going to get her out of this bind when she's in the coffin. But, yeah, that, yeah. But but I feel like the road to get to that information, we took like a 30-minute segue into just seeing her train just to get to the point that we see that she's learned this one particular punch. And it's like, I don't know that, I don't know that we needed that. or Or like you said, like, You'd already moved past that, so it's like, well, could we have shown her training like that in the first movie, and developing yes. that punch, and then when she's in the coffin, we can just quickly show flashbacks to what we saw in the first movie with her developing that punch, you know, or even leave it hanging. So, in the first movie, you would have seen her trying to develop it, and she just keeps hurting her hand, you know, and and we don't see her actually succeed, and then when she's in the coffin. And you realize, like, they show her, and she brings her, like, fingers up to the lid of the coffin, and they show her close her fist, and you realize that she's going to try to do that thing, and she starts doing it. And then, as she's doing it, you're seeing the flashback of her trying to do it and failing and failing, and she's failing and failing, and then all of a sudden, in the flashback, boom, her hand goes through the wood, and at the same time that it happens in the flashback, you see it, boom, go through the lid of the coffin... You know? Yeah, I was going to say, you could have had that side-by-side, you know, build-up like he did in the last in Jackie Brown. Yeah. That would have been really cool. Yeah, I feel like that could fix that for me, because it does feel like by the time, like, once she's buried in the coffin, I don't want to slow down. I want to know what the fuck, I don't want to know how she's going to get out of there. But he, uh-huh. he does, he takes, I mean, that's a sizable chunk of that movie, is just going back and seeing her learning how to fight. Um and it comes at a weird time. It's not necessarily that I feel like, um, you know, that an audience can't wait for things, but there's a certain amount of, um, there's a certain amount of, like, he's broken the momentum of his story there, you know? Yeah, when you have a a high-tension scene like that, I don't, I don't feel like you can just break away and then just come back to it whenever. And it has the same effect of her getting out because I've already kind of calmed down from that. Mm-hmm. You know, the tension's already broken. We've already kind of real seen other things. So the time we get back, the time by the time it gets back to that, you know, I my body and my mind is already like, all right, she's already in here. She's been in there for a while, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, you've kind of like accept that idea, but yeah. when she first gets buried, and then it's like, oh my god, like you really don't have a lot of time. And even if you, you know, could survive in there for a while, just being in there, you know, like I said, that even watching that scene, I kind of get like really anxious. Yeah, <laughs> get nervous. Um. So watching her break out at a later time doesn't have the same impact as it would if you had that scene kind of just go through and, you know, one go or like maybe, a, you know, a little bit of a flashback there of yeah. her breaking through finally. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's, you don't have to be <clears throat> like, you can have time pass 
that's greater for her, but shorter for us. And it doesn't, it wouldn't slow the story down, you know, um, it would, it would, it would increase your ability to keep that momentum of the story, you know, like that's, for me, that's a, that's a weird sidestep moment in the script. Um, and I don't love it. Um, but that concept of being buried alive is such a, um, it's so terrifying. Um, and I think maybe that's another reason why I don't want to be stuck down there as long as we are. Um, just because I want out, you know? Um, I will throw out two movies real quick. Um, Buried, which has Ryan Reynolds in it. Uh Um, and another movie called, I think it's called The Vanishing. Pretty sure. Um, both of those movies have sequences that involve that very thing. Um, actually buried the entire movie is in a coffin uh with ryan reynolds oh wow yeah it's i think i'm trying to remember how long it is but it it is a it's a long it's a it's a reasonably long movie it's probably about 90 minutes and it's ryan reynolds uh he's some type of like military contractor kind of guy and yeah it's 96 minutes um says Paul Conroy wakes up six feet underground with no idea of who put him there or why. Buried with only a cell phone and a lighter, his worst enemies are bad reception, a rapidly draining battery, and low oxygen. Paul only has 90 minutes to be rescued. Um, so I would recommend that one for sure. Um, and then The Vanishing... Let me, I'm just going to double check and make sure that I'm I'm not talking crazy, but I'm pretty sure The Vanishing is the one that I'm thinking of. Um, this is about a missing person. And the one that they left behind... No, maybe it's not called that. I gotta look this up. I thought it was called The Vanishing. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. I'll figure out what that is in a minute. Um, We're gonna cut here. I do want to talk to you about a couple more things before we wrap up the episode. I'm gonna take this quick break. Um, For us. For you, it'll be completely seamless, though, if you're listening to us, so... Um, We'll be back in, like, one second, and I'll magically have the name of that movie. Uh, So, here we go. And the name of the movie is The Vanishing. I'm sorry, I was fooled. Um, It is... I believe it's a French film, and it was made in 1988, and uh, also has a sequence involving the... uh, that that grim fate that we talked about. Um... But yeah, it's like it has a 98% on the old Rotten Tomatoes. So if you're down to watch a uh, down to watch a pretty excellent uh, film, check out The Vanishing. Um, now, one thing I wanted to talk to you about is we've kind of had this conversation a little bit in the other 
the other Quarantino episodes. But it's about how Tarantino's movies are sort of taking place in a universe. Right? right. Um, now, so far, we've had Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and maybe Jackie Brown. But again, the Jackie Brown connection is a little bit muddled because it's based on somebody else's story. So it may not be as closely tied to uh, the others. Um, that being said, Kill Bill marks a pretty intense jump from the kind of tone that we've come to expect from Tarantino. Which uh -huh. you could wind up thinking that Kill Bill's not involved. But there actually is a connection, and it's going to kind of, hopefully, uh, surprise you. It definitely is, because I, I couldn't find it. I mean, I wasn't actively looking for it, but there wasn't anything that I think back to where I'm like, oh, maybe it could have been there. All right. You ready for this? Yes. This is, this is a good one. All right. Do you remember Mia Wallace from Pulp Fiction? Yes. She's played by Uma Thurman. And she says that she was involved with a pilot for a television show. Right? Right. The television show was called Fox Force 5. And it featured her and four other deadly assassins that were being led by some guy, right? And when she goes down the list of what those women were involved with, it actually breaks down to pretty much the exact characters that are in Kill Bill. Oh, shit. Yes. So, there is a theory, and it's one that Tarantino supports, that that the bride all right basically this is tarantino supports the idea that he's actually crafting two different movie universes right one he calls the realer than real movie universe and that would be comprised of things like reservoir dogs and pulp fiction then there's another universe that he's building called the movie in a movie universe and in saying that he says that kill bill is what the characters in reservoir dogs and pulp fiction would go to see in their universe that's what be sh that's what would be showing at their movie theaters huh. okay now people have extrapolated that out and they think that the bride isn't played by Uma Thurman, that she's played by Mia Wallace. And that, wow. that this is a movie adaptation of the pilot that she almost was in. Huh. Yeah. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. That's a cool shit, for sure. And watching it with that in mind for me, makes some of the tonal issues less glaring. Um, and actually 
causes me to forgive some of that stuff because I like it. Like if we're saying that all of these characters that he writes are filtered through him, right? But that he's using some sort of restraint. And then we say that Kill Bill is him completely unrestrained. Then it like, it kind of makes sense if like Kill Bill is a typical movie in their universe, all of a sudden it, it, like, it makes sense why people act the way they do in Tarantino movies. Like, they're being, that's their culture. They're, like, influenced in a different way than we are. Uh, or or by different things than we are. And that causes their universe to be so much more hip, so much more on pop culture. Um, and I find that really I just find that a very interesting perspective on what Kill Bill is and what it does in the context of the greater universe. Does that make you feel any better? A little bit. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it because there's a pretty fucking cool connection there. It's kind of mind blowing because that's something I never would have picked up on. But I'm like, I'm trying to uh, look it up online as we go here. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that I don't dig too deep because okay. I want I want some of the the later connections to still be special for the show. But it is. It's bizarre when you start to realize, like, what he might be doing. And there are cues in this movie that tell you that it's not like the others. Like, when it, in the very beginning of the first movie, when it's, like, our feature presentation comes up. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, like, it, it, it calls awareness to the fact that you're watching a movie as opposed to his other films, which just kind of dive into the story. Um so yeah, I just think that it's it's a very it's a very cool thing that he's doing. And there's even people that think that Samuel L. Jackson's character in this movie is actually being played by Rufus, who like got out of the business of being a criminal and that he still knows Marcellus Wallace, that Marcellus Wallace would have been the person that bankrolled the production of this movie. Um, hence the reason why Mia Wallace is starring in it and, and, and that they think that Samuel L. Jackson may well be playing Rufus as the the piano player, the organist at the church that the that the wedding is supposed to happen at and stuff. There's no way to know how much of that is intended. And, I, and to my knowledge, I don't think Tarantino has said, like, yes, that's exactly what was intended. But it is a cool concept. Um, the last thing I want to say is we've talked a little bit about it before, but... Um, Every time I watch Kill Bill, I get a little bit sad because I know, especially now, because I know that Quentin Tarantino and Uma Thurman are no longer on very good terms with each other. And there's something horrendous about seeing the credits where it's like, uh, based on the character, the bride created by Q and U. Like, it was like they had their branding as friends and stuff and just, uh, don't collaborate with people ever. (laughs) only bad can come of it man I'll have to look deeper into that story on why they aren't friends anymore I feel like you've told it before 
Yeah. Um, but well, I mean, it, it, no small part of it has to do with Har- Harvey Weinstein. Um, mm-hmm. But I just realized I haven't done it in this episode, and I almost just did it, and now I feel obligated to do it because I almost just called Harvey Weinstein Harvey Dent. So yay, Batman. Um, um, but no, yeah, I mean, like, it has to do with a little bit with that and quite a bit with um, Tarantino's actions on the set of Kill Bill are not, um, they're not great. And yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get too far into it, but Tarantino has his own problems that he needs to deal with um and i think that some of that stuff you know it's not outright but it's something that is like she noticed and that it hurt her her feelings and Uh you know it's not something that you would expect a friend to um to do uh-huh. um or take some type of pleasure in um so yeah uh, yeah it's uh it's i it's, don't like the sound of that i mean do you want me to get into it i'll say it um there's a couple of scenes in which uma thurman's being choked across the kill bill movies and there's a scene where uh bud spits uh the, the waste product from his chewing tobacco he spits on her face. Yes, um, I noticed that. I thought that was kind of ugh. Yeah, and Tarantino made a um, made it a point that he wanted to be the one that got to choke her, and he wanted to be the one that got to spit on her. Um, huh. And, you know, it, it never sat right with her, um, but she did what she was supposed to do because she was in his movie um but it's left that question in her mind of like you know why did he treat me that way and i don't think that there's um i don't think there's a easy explanation why i don't think there's an easy explanation why anybody does anything that they do um and i'm not going to speculate as to what was going on there um I certainly don't feel like it was intended to hurt her, but it is strange um, that he would go out of his way to be the person that got to treat her that way. So, I don't know. But... Hmm. You know, it's... it's it, there's... There's something about their relationship where it's like, I think he really likes her and has uh-huh. since Pulp Fiction. And like, this is getting into wild speculation, but there's a, there's a toll that gets taken for men that have like unrequited loves. Um, and it turns you sour, you know, it turns you bad, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe that... It's like a poison that sits with you. It's all this potential and the hope that 
you could be with somebody that you really care about and then also you know realizing that you can't be and it 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 does it's it's a poison if you let it be you know and maybe that's what's going on there but i have no idea so yeah i'm gonna read up on it and see see what happened exactly yeah i mean it's pretty it's not good um but i think it's not good and 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 there's not really an excuse for it um doesn't change the fact that i think he's brilliant um it doesn't change the fact that i think uma thurman you know in his movies has shined uh brighter than in any of her other films um i feel like they did work well together i feel like they have created some great memorable movie moments um Another thing I noticed about, like, the whole connected universe thing, I just wanted to throw this out there, was uh, there's a scene in Pulp Fiction where Mia says, you know, don't be a square, you know? And she does, like, the finger move. um, And they actually do, like, the dotted line as she does it. And in this movie, there's a point where she's talking to uh, the woman at her house and... I think the lady says, are we square? And Uma Thurman's like, yeah, we're square. And she does the fingers. And it was like, huh, weird. Like, two separate Uma Thurman characters do the same hand gesture when they say square. Yeah. Maybe that's just something that... Maybe that's just something that Uma Thurman does. But it just adds fuel to the fire that the bride is Mia Wallace. But I don't know. Mm -hmm. Just pointing it out. Cool. So, yeah. Um... Next episode, we get to talk about... We're getting ever closer to my favorite Tarantino movie, which is very exciting for me. Um, Yeah, what's next on... Well, the next one is almost one of my favorite Tarantino movies. It is Inglorious Bastards. Um, He actually did direct a feature-length film um, in between uh, Kill Bill Volume 2 and Inglorious Bastards. But uh, Inglorious Bastards, like, the, the film that he directed between is called Death Proof, and it was part of a film called Grindhouse. There were two parts. One part was directed by Robert Rodriguez, one part was directed by Quentin Tarantino. And if you look at Tarantino's career, it seems as though Death Proof is not counted among his movies, because when he did The Hateful Eight, it's, he called it the eighth film from Quentin Tarantino, The Hateful Eight. And if you put Death Proof in the mix, The Hateful Eight would have been the ninth. So, he's doesn't count it, so we're not going to count it either. But, supplemental material, if you ever want to check out any more Tarantino, you can uh-huh. you can check out uh, Death Proof with Kurt Russell and Rosario Dawson and Rose McGowan and a bunch of different people in there. And then... Um, I think he also contributed to a movie called Four Rooms. Um, but yeah. Oh, and he did one scene in uh, Sin City. Uh, he directed the scene with Clive Owen's character bringing Benicio Del Toro's body to the to the tar pit and they get pulled over by the cop. That was Tarantino as well. Um, 
But yeah, so we're going to skip over Death Proof. We're going to jump right to Inglorious Bastards. I'm very excited to talk with you about it. Um, in particular, the opening scene of the movie. Because the opening scene of the movie is like a... All this stuff that we've talked about with him building tension and, you know, him early on being uncomfortable with drawing it out as far as he could, um, he conquers that fear, like, in the opening minutes of Inglorious Bastards. So, uh -huh. I'm, uh, I'm so excited to watch the movie that I might, even though we're recording on Friday, I might watch it tonight. Because it's that fucking good. I'm ready to go. Um, nice. Makes me excited for this one when you get excited for movies. <laughs> yeah, this one's excellent. And it marks the first time he works with Brad Pitt. Um, and, I mean, as far as I know, I don't know what he did in Germany beforehand, but this is also kind of like the big screen coming out party for Christoph Waltz, who is just a pleasure. Um, he's just such a great actor. And uh, he's involved in that opening scene, and he proves it pretty much immediately. So I'm excited to see what you have to say about it. Cool. Um, until then, uh, yeah. everybody, take care. Um, stay safe. And just, just keep swimming. Yeah. Just keep on keeping on. Yeah. All right, stay guys. inside. Yeah, stay inside. Don't breathe on people. And, you know, God bless you. All right. We'll see you. I'll talk to you. We'll see you. Talk to you. You'll, you'll listen to us. I don't know what the fuck I'm trying to say, but, you know, I hope that you had a good time listening to this show. So that that's, <laughs> that's basically it. All right. Love we'll you guys. Yes. Love you guys. Bye. We are also once again brought to you by ron-iii-art.redbubble.com. Uh, go on there, you can check out all of my work, and also, pinned right to the top of the page for your convenience, is the WT Fada collection. You can get some merch, get some merch, helps us out. And, uh, you know, if you love the show, you know, show it, you know. Um, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff on there. Good quality stuff. Really happy with what uh, John and I got. We talked about the t-shirts. Um, I also have that notebook, and I think John said he was thinking about getting the Bob Lazar Space Pimp shirt, which would be fucking fantastic. I'm uh, excited to see how that one came out. If it came out good, I'm going to grab one too, because I'm a self-promoting whore. But hey, that's what I do. Um, yeah, so, uh, check it out, ron-iii-art.redbubble.com.